On the block, on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years. As the Orange hold off the defending national champions, they beat Clemson. The Bills make me want to shout. McCoy in the backfield, takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back, my friends. Welcome aboard. Either way, we are so glad you are here on the ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1. ESPN Radio Utica, Rome. On the ESPN app. Rocking and rolling. Down to the beach, I'm strolling. Got them seagulls. Poke at my head, not fun. 98% of the people listening to the show have no idea what I'm talking about. But if my daughter's listening, she's cracking up hysterically right now. I don't know why that just popped in my head, but it did. Anyway, we've got plenty of Syracuse basketball to discuss throughout this hour. You are welcome to do that. It's been a while since we've seen Syracuse play. They'll be back at it tonight against Boston College, of course. You can hear it over on Brostat TK99 with the voice of the Orange, Matt Park. Coverage uh, for tip-off at 7 o'clock. So we'll get to that and a couple other things as we cruise through here, but So one hour from now, the Baseball Hall of Fame class is going to be revealed. And I have always been fascinated by Hall of Fame discussions. And it's mostly centered on baseball. Sometimes it happens with football. The Football Hall of Fame classes are getting very crowded, and there's names that just kind of have to sit around for a few years that deserve to be in. Like the fact that Terrell Owens is not a Hall of Famer is is such a joke. I can't even quantify it. I can't even put it into words. That's a first ballot, automatic, no question about it, Hall of Famer. But what comes to mind there, of course, is these are human beings that covered sports and have flaws and biases and are not putting in Terrell Owens basically out of spite. Jim Rice is a great example in baseball. That guy's a Hall of Famer, but had to wait 15 years to get in basically because he was a jerk. Right. So my issue with this. As much as these discussions are fun, and Seth and I just fell down this wormhole during the break. This guy's a Hall of Famer, and it leads to that guy's a Hall of Famer. And who's in and who's out, and who should be a Hall of Famer and not, is a discussion that you can get into and look up and be like, well, we've been doing this for like 45 minutes. It's fascinating. And I've always been fascinated by that. I mean, the Hall of Fame, it's a little museum in a, a picturesque town in Cooperstown, New York, and it's historic and I love going to Cooperstown. I was just there this summer, and once you enter the borders of that town, you get swept up in it, and the nostalgia and the beauty and the romance, and I see why people do just that. They, 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 it's such a romantic thing. They romanticize it, right? But essentially, it's, it's a museum, and they can put in who they want, and here's their voting process, and why should we care about it so much? But we do. 
But their voting process sucks. It does. Let me get this straight. The only people that can vote on this are people that have been members of the Baseball Writers Association of America for 10 years as beat reporters. That's it. That's the list. So people like Bob Costas, who has forgotten more baseball than most people will ever know, doesn't have a Hall of Fame vote. Vin Scully. You're telling me Vin Scully, who has seen more baseball than a a list very short on planet Earth, has never voted for the Hall of Fame. Play-by-play announcers that are there every day, calling every game, can't vote for the Baseball Hall of Fame. People that know more, see more, understand the game better than some of these writers don't get to vote on this. It is inherently flawed. It is ridiculous. The football process is even worse, but you know, baseball's on our mind here. But it's going to come out in an hour, and you know, it's more than likely going to be. I mean, we know Chipper Jones is in. We know Jim Tomey's in. We know Vlad Guerrero's in. I think Trevor Hoffman gets over the finish line. He was only five votes short last year, so he'll get in this year. Edgar Martinez, who hasn't swung a baseball bat in 13 years, has had a revival and a second look on his numbers, one of the best right-handed batters of his era. The stigma about the designated hitter is coming down. And why is that? Because, well, there's this new age look at stats and you can understand the game better and you can, you know, have, you know, an awakening of sorts about what he meant to his era. This is a good thing. I like that he's been given a second chance in this way because smart baseball people looked at it and said, wait a minute, this guy probably should be there. The old argument of either you're a Hall of Famer or you're not, well, sometimes it's complicated. I'll give you an example. I think Omar Vizquel is a Hall of Famer. Omar Vizquel won 11 gold gloves, and I can give you the numbers, and I can give you the resumes, and I, 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 I go through all this stuff. And so people will say, the longer you've got to make an argument, the worse your argument is for a Hall of Famer. If you're a Hall of Famer, it should be one sentence, right? One of the best right-handed batters of his era. One of the best pitchers of his era. Trevor Hoffman, second all-time in saves. Done. Resume. Jim Tomey's going to get in. 612 home runs. I mean, you're in. But it's not that simple, and it shouldn't be. A guy like Omar Vizquel was one of the greatest shortstops in the history of baseball. To me, if you're going to make an argument that goes beyond a sentence, I mean, that is a sentence. He's one of the greatest shortstops in the history of baseball. He was such an extraordinary defensive player, and defense is part of baseball. It's like the argument for kickers and special teamers and specialists in football. It's like, well, they're part of the game, and I understand that they've got to stand out beyond almost anything that you can argue to be considered for that. And that's why I think Steve Tasker is a pro football Hall of Famer. So I look at a guy like that. He's going to get like 35% of the vote. He's going to have to tag along for a few years, and, and, and we'll see what happens there, right? So I shouldn't care about this as much as I do. You shouldn't care about this as much as you do. Over the years, my passion for the Pete Rose argument has completely died off. Now, do I think Pete Rose should be a Hall of Famer? I don't because... It was pretty black and white what Pete Rose did. Here's the rule on the wall. Don't do this. He broke it thousands of times. He signed his own death warrant. 
when they put a piece of paper in front of him and said, you signed this, you're banned for life. He did it, and then he walked around for years playing the victim. He lied about it for 10 years. He changed his story when he had a book to sell, and he has just he has pulled the wool over people's eyes about how he was the victim in all this. The man who proclaims to love baseball more than any broke the game's most sacred rule when he played thousands of times. That doesn't exactly compute to me you're a Hall of Famer, but here is the thing. Here is the argument that I'm more willing to listen to today than I really ever have been. At the heart of it, and this goes into the Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens discussion too. What is the Baseball Hall of Fame? What is it? It's a museum. Museums, at the heart of it, are there to teach us about history. Good, bad, and everything in between. So if there is a plaque in a room in the Hall of Fame and Pete Rose is there and Barry Bonds is there and Roger Clements is there and as long as that plaque says, yes, Barry Bonds was a seven-time MVP, but he also, now again, it's complicated with Bonds and Clements because there's never been a positive test. They were cleared in courtrooms. Both Clemens and Bonds were cleared in courtrooms. But I read Game of Shadows, and you read Game of Shadows, and I have two eyes, and you have two eyes, and Barry Bonds seemed a lot bigger at later in, in his career than he did that skinny kid in Pittsburgh. And Bonds and Clemens, who have become one person in this discussion, I find that fascinating. And you'll, when the percentages come out 45 minutes from now, they'll be exactly the same for Bonds and Clemens. They are, they are linked to when eventually they do get in, and they will. It's just not probably going to be this year. It's complicated with them because they had Hall of Fame numbers before they took the stuff they allegedly took, right? It's the guys that you believe needed performance-enhancing drugs to be Hall of Famers where that argument gets murky. I don't think Sammy Sosa is a Hall of Famer without steroids. I don't think Manny Ramirez is in this discussion without steroids. Certain guys that needed that extra push to be great. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, and A-Rod, when he circles back on this discussion, did not. Now, it doesn't change the fact they were all dopes for doing it, A-Rod in particular, because by the time A-Rod came around, and I mentioned Manny Ramirez, who had two failed tests when the rules were crystal clear on this stuff. With Clemens and Bonds, they were not. And here's what else, you know, murkies the waters here. Bud Selig's in the Hall of Fame. He oversaw this entire era. If he gets in and he's leading the sport, well, you can't hold the, the guys that were out there doing it out, can you? But again, what's the process? Well, it's a bunch of sports writers that vote on this stuff. They fill out a ballot with 10 names and giddy up. So it's fa- the, the process is fascinating. The, the way that the Hall of Fame has this like exclusive country club feel to it. If you really get into and and peel away the layers of the Hall of Fame and who runs the Hall of Fame and who's on, you know, the, the little interconnected politics of Cooperstown, New York. And I mean, you can really do a deep dive on this stuff and, and see what it's all about. But really, at the end of the day, again, it's their museum. They can do what they want with it. It's not the Baseball Hall of Fame in that it's run by Major League Baseball. It's the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown that is run in concert with Major League Baseball. 
we get so fired up about these things and who's in and who's out and who should be in for this reason and who should be out for that reason. And we're losing the central message in this whole thing. It's a museum. So there's a lesson there that Pete Rose had more hits than anybody, but broke the biggest rule in the sport hundreds of times. And Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds did this. And, you know, we don't have to focus on the negative, by the way. There's plenty of guys that were just excellent baseball players. And that's it. That's the story. So when this comes out at 6 o'clock, I mean, we know Chipper Jones, Jim Tomey, and Vlad Guerrero in, and we know this because in this era we live in today, there are people that track this stuff, ballots that are made public, and there is a great Twitter feed, if you're into this kind of thing, if you if you are into spoiler alerts, this is probably not your gig if you want to avoid hearing what it is, but there's like three or four of these guys that do this, and one of the gentlemen's names is Ryan Thibodeau, and he has a Twitter feed, it's, it's at not Mr. Tibbs. So basically what he does is he takes, there's 244 ballots, I believe, that have been made public. And based on those, he not only tabulates where the numbers are at, but you have to project based on that what the private ballots will say about the Baseball Hall of Fame. So based on that, spoiler alert, Chipper Jones is in with 98%. Of the vote, 98%. I mean, Babe Ruth didn't even get that. Vlad Guerrero's up to 95%. Jim Tomey, 93%. Trevor Hoffman is 78%. And he's got Edgar Martinez. You need 75% of the vote. He's got Edgar Martinez squeezing in at 77%. How about Mike Mussina up to 70%, by the way? Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens at 65%. Kurt Schilling at 60%. I think every name I just read, there's a Hall of Famer. In one way, shape, or form, this year, next year, or 10 years from now. So we have these projections, and we know, and a lot of the drama has been left off this. Another organization that is still stuck in their old school ways, and I vote for the Heisman Trophy, but, I mean, there was a lot of issues with the Heisman this year. Just go look it up. They have told voters that vote for the award, like me, that you cannot reveal publicly what your vote is until after they announce it because all the drama was gone. People were writing columns and here it is. And like this gentleman I just mentioned, people could kind of tabulate it and figure out and say, well, this guy's winning the Heisman. And the Heisman Trophy hated that. So they said, if you vote for this, you can't reveal it, which a lot of voters got really ticked off about. I said, look, it's your, it's your award. You're asking me to vote for it. I'll play by your rules. If I didn't agree to that, I wouldn't be a Heisman voter. But I like being a Heisman voter. It's cool. The Hall of Fame, to their credit, the Baseball Writers Association puts an option on there. Do you wish this ballot to be revealed publicly? And we've been seeing pictures of those ballots since they've all been sent in over the last couple of weeks. So who's in, who's out, who shouldn't be, who should... I mean, it's it's a great discussion. And maybe that's kind of why they structure it this way, because it keeps people talking. If they fixed all this, it would remove the drama from it. There's a part of me that believes that's why they haven't touched this thing and just let people argue about it, because in this day and age, it just puts you out there. And what seems to be antiquated, it actually is a modern way of thinking. Let a little controversy brew and get people discussing it. If Pete Rose 
was allowed in the Hall of Fame, well, you would lose a huge talking point. If you allowed more people to vote for this thing, other than a bunch of sports writers, people that are around the game every day, well, it kind of takes some of the drama out of it, right? I mean, I know I'm bordering on conspiracy theory level here, but trust me, that's an educated conspiracy theory on my part. Pete Rose does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame, still. I've wavered on that. I've come as close as ever to saying, we'll just put it on the on the on the plaque what he did, but I it could take a long time to beat that out of me. I'm not quite there yet. On that note, we'll take a break. We'll talk some Syracuse hoops coming up. If you want to jump in on this conversation, more than welcome to. A few other things we'll do before we hit six o'clock and head on out for the evening. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. And it is, my friends. Welcome back. Oh, we're doing it, man. We're rolling here on a Wednesday. We've got plenty more Syracuse basketball to get into. After their uh, essentially their bye week, right? It's been a while since we had some actual Syracuse hoops to discuss, but we will after tonight. We'll talk to Jim Beheim on tomorrow's show, as we do every Thursday. Looking forward to that, as always, right now. Thanks to our friends at Agway Energy Services. Hit me with that fancy open. It's hot take time. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. (laughs) It's time for hot takes on the block. So we found out today... That Larry Nasser, I'm sure you've uh, been following this story, you've heard about it. I mean, it just churns your stomach, unlike a lot of things we've heard. And that and that's saying a lot, considering Penn State and, and certain things that were the ugly side of life invade sports. He was sentenced today to basically the rest of his life in jail, 40 to 175 years on top of another 60-year sentence. And to see this parade of, of young women, go up there and confront this man and have to read the statements that they did and to hear the details that are coming out now. I was listening to the Tony Kornheiser podcast today, and Sally Jenkins was on. Sally is from the Washington Post. She was describing these documents that USA Gymnastics has and how Larry Nasser was the go-to guy on a lot of things and how you were signing your life away for the, I mean, they own you. We're talking about 10 to anywhere from, you know, even younger than that, eight Nine, ten-year-old girls that were putting themselves, committing themselves to USA Gymnastics, had this dream to be an Olympian, and how Larry Nasser just completely took advantage of that. But you look at some of the details of this, and, and I don't have time to go through everything that Sally said, but it was right in the document that if you needed help late at night, that Larry Nasser was the only person you could talk to, and how he was essentially giving himself permission to be alone in hotel rooms and other places with with young girls it's just it's it's churned your stomach and it it is absolutely infuriating that we had to see all these women parade through that courtroom the last week and that this happened to them and that Michigan State didn't do anything about it USA Gymnastics who you know paid off Michaela Maroney million dollars just to sweep it under the rug it's like for what it just comes down to the most simple question why for what when you hear about this the answer is not we need to sweep this under the rug and pay people off it's we need to go to the authorities 
and get these people taken care of. The amount of corruption and greed and what people will do to protect a certain brand is not surprising. It will not be the last time we hear this, unfortunately, but it is still wrong. So this was read in the courtroom today by Judge Aquilino, who presided over the case and sentenced Larry uh, Nasser today. And she said this, quote, Inaction is inaction. Silence is indifference. Justice requires a voice. And that's what happened in this court. 158 buckets of water were placed on your so-called match that got out of control. There has to be a massive investigation as to why there was inaction, why there was silence. Justice requires more than what I can do on this bench. I find that you don't get it, that you are a danger. Adding this. Your actions were precise, calculated, manipulative, devious, and despicable. The judge pointed out that he could have controlled himself, sought treatment, but instead denied that he ever had harmed anyone. Quote, it was my honor and privilege to hear these survivors. It's my honor to sentence you. You do not deserve to walk outside a prison again. And after sentencing Nasser, Judge Aquilina said she never wanted Nasser to leave prison, and that he never would, telling him, quote, I just signed your death warrant. Yeah, drop the mic on that one. But it's a situation that should have never made it this far. And now you hear the NCAA wants to get involved. And while their actions are noble in some ways, I mean, you look what you did with Penn State. I don't think you get a turn in this. This goes higher than you. This goes right to Congress. This goes to the highest levels of who can Look at the USOC, look at USA Gymnastics and say, okay, what happened here? And cleaning people out and firing board members and some of the things we've already seen happen, it's not enough. And, you know, Larry Nasser got what was coming to him, the, the most despicable and the person that stands out most in this got what he deserved. So there is some justice there. But the more you read about this and the more you hear That's about hot. it and the more you see what happened, you just come back to that central word. Why? Why? And people did speak up. It's what one of these things like, I never know. I didn't know who. I mean, you hear that all the time. They knew. People knew. and Didn't do enough. Well, at least something was done. But it's just, I, 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 you know, I have an 11-year-old. And many of you listening right now have, you know, daughters either that age or we're that age at one point and we're in team sports and we're in gymnastics and you just it, it makes your mind go to places you don't want it to, but you need it to in this screwed up world we live in. Like you entrust people to coach your children, to teach your children, to do and it's just whew, chills you to the bone, man. But how about that judge? I just signed your death warrant. Yeah, take that. On a lighter note and a very interesting thing, Seth brought this up in his update. The NBA has been upfront, has been honest, and has been leading the discussion about gambling is something that is done. Let's embrace it. Let's make it a part of what we do. Let's regulate it. Let's stop, you know, having to go to Vinnie Boom Bots on the corner, knock on the door three times, Joey Bag of Donuts, let you in the back room to place a bet on a sporting event if you do not live in Las Vegas or other selected places where you can. And the NBA's proposal on this was pretty interesting. The NBA has formally requested 
a set of laws that would be the basis of professional sports leagues pushing for legalized gambling. They want 1% of every bet made on its games in addition to other regulations, which, of course, would create massive revenue for the NBA. $5 billion is bet legally on sports in Las Vegas every year. So you figure what the NBA's cut of that is. They want 1%. Yeah, we're talking like $400, $500 million of free money. Could be off a little bit there, but it's money that they're not taking in now, and it's massive amounts of money. And if they lead the way and do it, then you know the NFL, the NHL, Major League Baseball, and others will just follow right through. I mean, DraftKings and FanDuel came along, and you can call it all you want. That's gambling. You're winning money based on the performance of athletes. That's that's gambling. Fantasy sports. You can label things all you want. Fan, you know what fantasy football is? If you play in a fantasy league and the reward is money, congratulations. You just bet on sports. You gambled. An NCAA pool. Oh, it's an office pool. No, you're gambling, right? Like, it's funny how we have all these funny terms on things. Like, you're betting on sports. That's what you're doing. As noted here, in 2016, Nevada had $4.5 billion in sports wagers. That'll eclipse $5 billion for the first time this year when the numbers from 2017 come in, and it, it never goes down, right? There's a reason there's constantly cranes in the air in Las Vegas, and they're building stuff. And now there's a professional sports team there, and the Raiders are coming along. It's just all the stigmas and the barriers are coming down on this. So the NBA has indicated that it will lobby Congress to get a national bill passed. Now, don't forget, there's a Supreme Court case that the Supreme Court of the United States will take on when it gets put on their calendar. That has been pushed through a lot of lower courts, but has made it to the Supreme Court that will essentially set the tone here about whether there will be legalized sports gambling in this country. And most experts that have looked at it think it will pass. You know, essentially they'll rule in favor of it, right? The Super Bowl is coming up next week, and we are going to talk a lot about that game. But mostly what people talk about are squares, prop bets, and all the things that make the game interesting, right? How long is the national anthem going to be? You can bet on that. And take take that away. Take that away next week. And we could talk football and all the people on Radio Row that will be there and the morphed, mega, mega, just unbelievable thing that the Super Bowl has become. It'd still be there, and they'd still do it. But take away the gambling aspect of it. Just talk football all week. Yeah, let me think about that for a second. It's pretty boring, right? But add the prop bets, add the squares, add the action. And that's at the heart of what makes sports sports. That's hot. And credit to Adam Silver in the NBA for recognizing that. Saying, we want our cut. You're making all this money off us. All right, time to partner up. And that's just the legal numbers. Five billion legally in Vegas. Think of the billions of dollars made by Vinnie Boombots and Joey Bag of Donuts knock on the door three times. Hey, what's the password? New England clam chowder. Is that the red or the white? Red. Okay, now you go down the hallway. Okay? You go see Bobby. When you see Bobby, you knock on the door like this. And then when he asks you what the capital of Rome is, you know what you say? You say nothing. Then he lets you in. You know what I mean? Like, just to place your bets that way. Now we're talking about more billions of dollars. 
going to happen, folks. How much money, John Calipari, by the way? Billion dollars. Now, this has to be one of my favorite sound bites from a coach of any sport in recent memory. You guys heard about what John Calipari said about Duke, and there was a battle for Zion Williamson, the big-time recruit that gave Duke three of the top recruits next year and four of the top 12. And, you know, Calipari took a shot at Duke saying, and I've always, you know, respected Calipari for this, straight shooter. He doesn't pretend about anything about anything. You don't come to Kentucky to... The pitch at Duke is you'll be taken care of for life, and you're part of the Duke family, and they kind of dance around the whole NBA thing. Calipari's been like, nope, you come here and look at all the NBA guys that we have. Now, this billion dollars came from this. Take a listen. We don't get every kid. I've said that all along. We get the ones that need to come here. Others choose not to, and that's fine. That's their choice. Um, obviously, the kids that have come here are worth over billion dollars. Who does not love John Calipari's Dr. Evil impression? Billion dollars. One billion dollars. Billion dollars. Boom. And that's what Cal's all about. And people have complained about Cal through the years and said, you know, when are the, and look, Memphis, Derrick Rose, SAT thing, Massachusetts, you won't find a Final Four banner around there after he got them there. It's not like trouble has not followed Calipari places or he has kind of gotten out before the house burned down. They haven't found anything in Kentucky because he has established Kentucky and it's all up front. It's all that you come here. We know you're going to be around for a year and we're good with that. Some people don't like it, but those are the rules of the game. And he has mastered the rules of the game to the point where he can get up there and say choice. Um, Obviously, the kids that have come here are worth over a billion dollars. Boom. By the way, congratulations to John Calipari's. Billion dollars. You have officially made our soundbite button bar. Now that is exciting. On that note, we'll take a break. We've got more Syracuse basketball to discuss. More on the Baseball Hall of Fame. Going to give a big shout-out to our friends listening in Utica next hour, so you'll want to hear that. You can hop on board at 437 7644. The text line is 288-0644. I haven't checked the text line yet during the show. We'll hop in there during the break and see what's cooking. Back after this. Thank you. Bye-bye.